well, first of all, I, I should have said this earlier. I forgot. Uh, happy Thanksgiving. I'm just, um, I think I'm still in a food coma. How about you, right? I had a little bit of, a little bit of leftovers uh, yesterday, and I don't know what it is, but I feel like since I was a kid, um, there's not as much leftovers as there used to be. I don't, <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why that is. I'm not so sure. Well, anyway. I hope that you uh, you enjoyed yourself, and um, I I've been thinking about this a, a, a off and on for the last couple of days, and in in our family, um, Thanksgiving is kind of the first holiday of the Christmas season, and because like right after Thanksgiving, the fall decorations go away, and we start to slowly bring out the Christmas decorations, and and I I was thinking about this. <clears throat> And I'm so, so glad that we enter the season of Christmas with Thanksgiving. The trick is not to leave it on, on the last Thursday in November, right? That we actually take that Thanksgiving with us through the rest of the season. So this is the first Sunday in Advent. And I, on the one hand, um, it, it, we just go from 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 Thanksgiving right into the season, there's no real pause to it, and I'm, I think I'm okay with that, especially if I can remember to continue to be um, grateful as we go in into the season altogether, because there's a lot of things that are going to compete for your attention over the next few weeks, if you, if you haven't, haven't noticed. Um, I, I was talking with my wife about this, and one of the things that I'm, about the only thing that I'm grateful for when it came to the lockdowns a couple years ago is that we slowed down a little bit. And it was, I was really thankful for that that, uh, that year in 2020 that it's like everyone just kind of, kind of paused. Not, I, you know, I don't like the reasons for it, but I, I did appreciate the fact that things slowed down and I want to attempt to do that again this year. And, and what I noticed... I, I want to attempt to do that every single year, but this year I feel like things are speeding up again like they were before the lockdowns happened, and there's this little part in my, my soul that goes, whoa, hold on, hold on, hold on. I don't know if I want to go back to that. I don't want to go back to that, that fevered pitch of, of what the season sometimes can be. Maybe your experience you know, varies and it's a little bit different, but I don't, I don't want to go back to that. And I feel like we're, we're dealing with, with some of the same pressures. And, and, and not only the pressures of the holiday season, but, you know, add on top of that uh, politics, geopolitics, economics, and all the stuff that we're, you know, seeing on the news. And, and there's, just, there's just a lot of noise. Can, can I just say that? There's just a lot of noise. And when we're talking about communication theory, you have static and you have signal. There's just a lot of static. Let's just be honest about it. And it seems like every year is like that, but this year in particular, I just notice it a whole lot more. Maybe I'm just more sensitive to it. I don't know. The point is, is that I'm afraid that I am going to lose the season because of the noise and the static. And I don't want that. I want to pump the brakes, and I want to learn how to distinguish and discern the signal through all of that static. What's God saying to me? What's God saying to me in this season? And I'm, I'm hopeful that throughout this entire series, we'll, we'll kind of tune in 
to what he's saying to us before the season passes us by. Let me rephrase that. Before the season passes me by. I don't know about you. I only know about me. And so that's kind of how I'm feeling with all of this. We all experience this noise. Um, Maybe it seems more pronounced during the holidays because what's, aside from what's happening in the world, there's our own lives. There's shopping and baking and recitals and concerts and things just get busier. Um, There are certain things I try to make time for this time of year and there are other things that um, I gotta say no to just because things are a little bit busier and, and time is a little bit different. And then on top of it, there's our families. There's the in-laws and the outlaws and all of that to this thing. There's the obnoxious uncle that you love when he's around and you're kind of dreading when he's around. And then there's always um, the possibility of you repeating that same embarrassing experience that you had a couple of years ago that everyone continues to remind you of even though it was when you were 15 years old or whatever it happens to be, right? We all have those experiences too that we just as soon people let go, quit bringing it back up. I'm not that same person anymore. And some of us, well, there's a loss of a loved one and there's this big hole especially this time of year. And you just experience that a little more deeply. There's emotion that creeps into our celebrations and that just adds to the static, that adds to the noise. And so what I want to do today is to invite you to pause and slow down and tune into the season. We've got four weeks and let's see what the Lord might want to show us in all of this. So we're going to pick up the Christmas story in Matthew chapter 1. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, you might want to turn there. Matthew chapter 1. And as you're turning there, um, I just kind of lay this out a little bit. As we read this, I want you to keep in mind that Matthew himself, the author of this particular biography of Jesus, is a Jew. And he is writing to Jews. So there's your author and there's your audience. But specifically, he's writing to Jews that are skeptical that Jesus is the Messiah. Okay? So that's the audience to this. He is dealing, he is dealing with a hostile crowd. Okay? And he understands that. But clever, clever Matthew starts with a genealogy. Why? Matthew chapter 1, he starts with a genealogy. Well, the first book of the Torah, the Jewish sacred text, Genesis is loaded with them. There's all kinds of genealogies, which by the way, if you have insomnia, highly recommend the genealogies and the book of Leviticus, by the way. So either one is fine. Yeah. There's this thing within the Old Testament about who's your daddy. And we got to figure out who, who, who's, some of you remember the the King James Version. And it wasn't, it wasn't um, so-and-so was the father, it was so-and-so begat, begat. That's just a word we need to bring back. I'm not sure why. I don't know what context you need to do that. 
But if you want to amaze your friends, just use the word beget. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But we have these, these long genealogies within the first book. And so what, G, what uh, Matthew does is he uses the first chapter. So the first book of the Old Testament and the first chapter of this gospel are genealogies. And, and Matthew's deliberately setting those things up as parallel. Remember, my, my fundamental assumption is, is that these ancient writers are quite sophisticated as authors. And, and he's, he's attempting to do something here. He is running these things in parallel to gain the attention of his reader, who is a skeptical Jewish, um, most likely male. So run those things in parallel. Now, I want to read this. This should be fun because there's some really great names in here, okay? So we're going to read this through, and we're, and we're going to talk about it. So here it is, uh, Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, okay? Those are the, those are the big ones, David and Abraham. Those are big. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram. Ram the father of Amminadab, which is just fun to say. Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, not salmon, it's not the same thing in the river. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. Remember him? We talked about him over the summer. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, which sounds like the name of a, of a Swedish band. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, jumping as he was, right? Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon. Ammon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, that one's fun to say, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. And now all of a sudden we can breathe again, right? There's a little pause in this. After the exile of Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of, oh boy, Sheal, Shealtiel, Shealtiel. See, I didn't practice this ahead of time. I was just, just relying on my Hebrew. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of, ah, Abiud, Abiud, we'll just call him something else at that point. And that person was the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of, of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Akim, Akim the father of Iliad, Iliad the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Manhattan, Manhattan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. <sighs> okay, that's a long one, isn't it? Some great, great names in there, which reminds me, um, if uh, you ever have children and uh, you want names, I will suggest some really good ones for you. Just let me know. 
There's all kinds of great things. We'll just pull out the genealogy of Jesus. So a lot of pronunciation challenges in there. Now, if you're familiar with genealogies at all within the Old Testament, there's something very different about this particular one that Matthew um, writes. It has a peculiar feature, and it has the presence of women in the genealogy. This is very unusual. Of the several uh, genealogies that we find in the Old Testament, there's very few women that are ever mentioned. And a first century Jew would have caught that. It would have jarred them to a certain extent. In fact, I think in some cases, since they were Jews and they knew the Old Testament story, it would have rattled them a little bit because every single time the woman is mentioned, it brings up kind of a dark, what's the word I'm looking for? I gotta be real careful with this. It brings up some controversy in the history of Jesus. Not because of the woman, but the woman's presence highlights the fact that there's some controversy that I think can be overlooked if you're just reading men's names. And I want to, I want to, I want to talk about this a little bit because I think it's important. I've, I've actually talked about this in the past. <clears throat> the fact that women are mentioned adds a certain amount of intrigue to this particular passage. So the first one is Tamar. Tamar um, is a woman who was wronged by Judah. Now, Remember, you've got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jacob had a whole bunch of of, uh, brothers, one of which was Judah. Judah was one of the guys who sold Jacob into slavery, right? And Judah had his own tribe, and it was a very strong tribe. It was one of the bigger tribes. Jesus is often called the Lion of Judah. Judah's a big deal. But Judah also wronged Tamar badly violated a whole bunch of ancient Jewish customs. And so if you're a first century Jew and you read Tamar, you're you're going to ask the question, Matthew, why on earth would you mention that? Why would you do that? Why, Why would you bring this one up? Because this just highlights not Tamar, but Judah's fault. Judah is, is not without a great deal of blame in this story. Why would you bring that up in a genealogy, Matthew? Why would you do that? The next woman who's mentioned is a woman called Rahab. Do you remember Rahab? Rahab was in the city of Jericho when the Israelites were getting ready to invade and they had spies. And Rahab hid the spies But Rahab was also a prostitute. Rahab was a prostitute. And what's so fascinating about this is that Rahab had a son. His name was Boaz. Boaz married a woman named Ruth. And there's a book that bears her name. But Boaz is a very righteous man. He is held in high esteem because he's a follower of God. And he's the son of a prostitute. That sounds like a story of redemption to me. So Rahab and then Ruth. Oh, oh, by the way, Ruth isn't even Jewish. She's a foreigner. 
Boaz, the righteous one, doesn't even marry a Jew. She mar- he marries a foreigner. And those two individuals are in the lineage of Jesus. And Matthew points this out. And the reader is saying, Matthew, why would you do that? Why would you highlight these particular things that are a little more on the controversial side? Why would you do that? And then finally, Matthew does this thing. He doesn't even give the woman a name. Solomon's mother was Uriah's wife. Well, of course, we know her name was Bathsheba, right? But Uriah's wife. We mention Uriah because David murdered Uriah. Why would you do that, Matthew? Why would you point out that piece? King David was a good king. He was powerful and he was mighty. Yeah, he was also a philanderer and loaded with scandal and a really bad father to boot. And here we have these women who are put in the story and it's jarring and it's arresting to the people who are who are reading it. And you have to ask yourself the question, why? Why would, why would Matthew do such a thing? Because, you know, you got the genealogy thing. We understand, okay, if you're a first century Jew, you're reading through the genealogy and you're going, okay, I understand. You're trying to create some credibility for this Messiah and this makes perfect sense because that's what we did in the Old Testament. You're just kind of following suit. But why would you add this little feature? Why would you add this little peculiar detail to the genealogy, Matthew? Why would you do that? Well, here's the reason why, I think. Maybe I'm the only one, and I'm okay with that. I believe that Matthew was heading things off at the pass because Mary has a very strange story. Can we agree? Mary is a virgin and is found to be with a child by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's just a little weird. And in fact, not only is it a little weird, most skeptical people, most people who aren't even skeptical would be skeptical of that. And I think what Matthew is doing is saying, hold up a second. Yes, it's a little weird, but so is your history. And you're not going to throw this woman under the bus and disregard everything that she says and everything that she actually is because you have others in your history that you're willing to give credibility to. This is credibility for Mary which gives credibility to Jesus, ultimately speaking. Mary's story would have been hard for most people to believe. Easy to discredit Jesus based on her and her alone. And here's Matthew going, hold up, hold on, hold on. You can't do that. There are plenty of other infamous women in his backstory, and she's just one of many of them. Understand that there is a bigger story here, folks. Women are a big piece of that, and so is Mary. Now, furthermore, there's also a host of male scandals in here, too. Both, uh, or all of um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob made plenty of mistakes, lots of them. Judah broke family law, right? We talked about that. David, the murderer, bad dad, not the best family man. Rehoboam, the the son of Solomon, actually helped split Solomon's kingdom into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Um, There are other bad kings who did evil in the sight of the Lord. 
uh, Ahaz couldn't choose a sign. Remember when we talked about the Messiah? And the Lord himself will give you a sign. And it talks about the virgin giving birth. That's the sign. Why? Because Ahaz couldn't pick his own sign. God gave him the option. Choose the sign that I will be with you. And he doesn't do it. Okay. The prophet comes along and says, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And here's what it is. So Ahaz couldn't make a decision. Um, Uzziah. Remember, remember King Uzziah? Uh, if you remember the book of Isaiah, in the year that King Uzziah uh, died, I saw the Lord in the temple. And it's this mighty vision and the smoke filled the temple. and all. It's an amazing story. You should probably read it. It's good. But Uzziah didn't do what the Lord asked him to do and he had leprosy. Stricken, smote with leprosy. So Uzziah wasn't the best king as well and... and uh, Jeconiah had politics and he ended up being carried off into exile all of the other Jewish aristocrats at the time. And we've got bad story upon bad story. We've got, you want to talk about in-laws and outlaws. Man, this is just full of it. Just full of it. And the beautiful thing is, and yes, I said beautiful. The beautiful thing is, it's all part of Jesus' family tree. Every last bit of it. And Matthew puts it out there for everybody to see, warts and all. This is Jesus' family tree. And here you were worried about Cousin Digger opening his mouth and sticking his foot in it. Or worried about Aunt Mabel pinching your cheek just a little too hard, right? You've got family members like that and I want you to think about something. When you think about your family history and your family tree, Jesus still came despite his family tree. And he comes to you despite your family tree. Because we all got stuff in our family histories that <clears throat> make us a little uncomfortable. And we got people around us. And yeah, he gets that. Yeah, he gets you too. He gets all of it. Because he's got it himself. And so we have this, what I call, historical noise. We got stuff in our family tree that we're like, oh boy. Well, maybe the black sheep of the family isn't as black as we thought they were. They, were. they weren't as dark. They weren't as awful. They weren't whatever. And maybe if we're honest, we've got our stuff too. And you know what? It's not just the family history. You got history, don't you? You got decisions that you'd really like back. Things you're not so proud of. Things that uh, you just wish that everybody would leave alone. We all have that. Some of us hear ourselves saying that over and over and over, reminding us about our past, about our history. 
and we attach meaning to it like, well, apparently I'm not good enough. Apparently I'm not lovable because of whatever it is. Fill in the blank. We all have that personal history and it's just noise. And it distracts us from the things that really matter because we can't actually focus on it because all we do is hear that stuff. And historical noise. You know, and the other thing too, it's not just all negative too. I mean, there are some things about the holiday season that create, create a certain amount of um, um, sound to them that's good. You know, you've got some family traditions that you really like and you find those things meaningful. And, and the problem is that sometimes when we focus on those things and, oh, we got to get this done because this is what the tradition is and, and we sometimes miss out on some of the other things that are happening. So it, it, there's all kinds of different sorts of noise and not all of it's bad, but it is noise and it's things that you've got to think of. And so as we go towards Christmas Day, Let's, let's pause, right? Let's just kind of pause and remember what's really going on here. Take it from Matthew and his genealogy, what's really happening here, that this is about God who chooses to be with us. It's not like he's sitting there going, well, when you say the right words or when you start doing the right things, then you can come be with me. No, he's coming to you where you are. I love the first chapter of John. It's very poetic. But one of the things that says in there that um, he came and he uh, made his dwelling among us. But the words in, in Greek are a little bit different. It says, and he pitched his tent among us. And you remember that this, this harkens back to ancient Israel and you have all of the tribes who set up their tents when they're coming out of the Exodus, when they're coming out of slavery and they arranged themselves around the central tent where God actually dwelt. That was his tent. It was called the tabernacle and he pitched his tent right in the middle of the camp and everybody else organized around that tent. And what, what John is trying to tell us here is the same thing, is that he moved into your neighborhood. He's pitched his tent among us. It's not somewhere off in the distance. It's not up necessarily on some inaccessible place, on some, on some mountain that is mythical. No, this is the God who comes to be with his people. He makes the effort because he knows that we can't. That's what's happening here. That's the kind of Jesus. And he comes in the form of a baby so that we would understand him. That's what's going on here. So whatever the historical noise is, you can kind of set that away because here God is choosing to be with you, with us. So whatever's holding you back, I want to declare this over you today. Your history is not your future. Your history is not your future. Because of a baby who came to change everything. And so we read this genealogy in this ancient book 
and we see all kinds of strange and crazy stuff, and all of a sudden your stuff doesn't seem so crazy, does it? Jesus gets you. And here's the, the most beautiful part of all of this, <clears throat> is that not only does Jesus come at Christmas, he wants to stick around afterwards. He wants to hang out with you and to be with you on a daily basis. That's why we talk a lot about the presence of God. The beautiful thing about this time of year is that you know, it's easy for us to think in terms of babies coming and babies growing and babies being with us. And as we go into this new year, it's almost like our relationship with Jesus can start all over again. We can start with him just coming to us and we can grow with him going into the new year. So hit the pause button. Tune in to that station that's his voice just a little bit more. You got plenty of competition. I don't know what your email looks like, but I'm telling you, 30% off sounds really good a lot of the time. But here's the thing. Yeah, I might be able to buy that pair of pants for 30% off. But the fact of the matter is, what I really need is a Savior who helps remind me that that's not the end-all, be-all of existence. That the beautiful thing is, is that I get to be with my family. I get to be with my church family. I get to be with him all year round. And all of the noise can just fade into the, into the side, can just fade away. I don't have to worry about it. And I can enjoy him and I can enjoy you. And you can enjoy each other. And I think that sounds a lot like the kingdom of God to me. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm so grateful. On this Thanksgiving weekend. That you made an effort to wrap yourself in human flesh, one, so that I would understand you, but also that you took the effort to be with, with me, to be with us, to show us a different way to live, to allow us to grow in our relationship with you, it's kind of the beginning. And I'm thankful for new beginnings, <laughs> for second chances. Or in some cases, third, fourth, fifth, and 75th chances. You're good. God, you're good. You're a good father. You have given purpose to your people and you're not going to withhold provision for it but as I'm, I'm thinking here I, I can just tell in the room there's a lot of histories and those histories people have are echoing and there's voices in their heads that are telling them things that are not from you Again, in the name of Jesus, I command those voices to be silent. Shame, you need to shut up. 
And I pray, Lord, that each one of us would dial in so that we have a clear signal of what you're trying to tell us through this season. I don't know what that is for every person, but I know it's real and I know it's true because it's from you. And so as we tune in to whatever it is that you're trying to say to us, I pray that it would be so clear that it would, again, shape us and change us to be the kind of people you want us to be. Thank you, Lord, for being here in this place today. Thank you for being so good and for loving us so much. And I pray, Lord, that just as the uh, season goes on, we would experience you more and more each and every day. And I'm going to thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.